I invite you to uh, open your, your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. You may also, if you'd like, I, we do have the scripture printed in the insert uh, that is in your bulletin, and you can follow along with that as well. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? What was going through your heart? Because we, we parents want to know. We want to know how you could do it. How could you obey such a command? How could you? How could you have picked up that knife? We have come to one of the most shocking, most troubling scenes in all of Scripture. God instructs Abraham to take the life of his son. And the very method of of writing the story, I think you will agree, just drives the pain into us, the readers. The opening verse sets up the the tension. We're given notice of what Abraham does not yet know, that God is going to test him. So he hears God's voice and he responds as he always does, here I am. He's ready to listen. He's ready to obey. Is it it time to, to move to another location? 
Is there something else you want to, to say about the covenant? What do you have to say, my Lord? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. You know, 14 times the word son is used in our passage. Eight times in these verses leading up to that last phrase, to slaughter his son. It's Abraham's son whom he is to kill. And as if if God cannot make the commandment more horrible to hear, he reminds Abraham, your only son, Isaac. But you might say, well, but there was Ishmael. There was only one son of the covenant. One son of Abraham and Sarah. One son who had remained with them. Uh, Ishmael is gone now. There's only Isaac. So Abraham's only son, Isaac, whose very name of, remember, what does it mean? Laughter. It was given to remind Abraham of his joy. It is Isaac who is to be the sacrifice. Oh, and, and God adds, whom you love, as if Abraham needed reminding And what is the killing for? Isaac is to be Abraham's offering of worship to God. This is how Abraham is to worship his Lord. To put his son on an altar for a burnt offering. That was the most common form of sacrifice in the ancient days. It was the means by which the offerer understood that he was making himself acceptable before God. He would offer an animal of some kind. It could be a lamb. It could be a calf. It could be a bull. It could be a ram. Something that he would kill. He would lay it upon the altar and he would then burn it. And the the smoke would rise as an aroma pleasing to God. Abraham's son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved, was to be the sacrifice. Look with me in verse 3 as we continue. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You might remember in our previous weeks, there was one time in which God had said yet again to Abraham that Sarah would bear a son. By that time, Abraham, Ishmael, and he said, look, I've got Ishmael. Let Ishmael be that covenant son. There was the other scene in which God revealed to Abraham that he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham pleaded on their behalf. There was a time that Sarah wanted Hagar and Ishmael to be sent away, and we're told that Abraham was displeased on account of his, of his son Ishmael. He did not want to send him away. 
But now that Abraham receives this awful commandment, he acts immediately. There's no response. At least, there's no recorded response. And so while we are at our wit's end trying to reconcile the, you know, this very commandment with the character of God, we, we're feeling in the depths of our hearts for what Abraham must be going through, we're told nothing. Nothing of what Abraham feels or thinks. All that we see is his obedience. Wives, surely you want to know, what did Abraham tell Sarah? Well, probably he told the same thing that he had told those two men who were coming with him. That he and Isaac were going to take a worship, to offer worship to God, and that they would return. Now, commentators, they point to to Abraham's words about that, that the boy and I will come back to you. He said, well, that's an expression of his confidence in God. He knew all along that God really was not going to make him go through that sacrifice. Perhaps. But what else was Abraham to tell anyone? Oh, well, I'm, I'm taking Isaac up the mountain to slay him for a sacrifice. Now, the trip took three days. Three long days. That's a lot of time to think and to pray about what would take place at the journey's end. Last Sunday, I'd made reference, you might remember, to the Lord of the Rings. Now, it's a story of Frodo's got to go to Mount Doom and toss in that ring. What if Frodo knew all along his real mission, that it was to give the ring to Sam, and then he was to push Sam over the edge into the fire? It's enough to drive a man mad. And if this is not enough for Abraham... What do you think was going through his mind when he heard the question from his son? Look with me in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? My father. Here I am, my son. Where is the lamb? Surely the son unknowingly was plunging a knife into his father's heart with that question. How could Abraham have continued up the mountain? Was there any Greek like his. But then again, we, we don't know. We don't know what went on inside of this father. We are not told. All we are given is the answer. In verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now, is that a statement of faith? Again, did did Abraham know, well, God, actually, he really is going to intervene? Maybe. But again, what was he to say to his son? You're the lamb. And for a second time, then we're told that they went, both of them, together. Picture of father and son, 
responded to one another in love. Come to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Do you suppose the reality hits Isaac, that he's the lamb? I think he starts to get anxious. His father is building the, the altar. He sees his father laying the wood in order. I think he's starting to get a little nervous. I wonder how long that work took. Or is it only when Abraham turns his son around and begins to bind his wrists? Do you think he had to tie his ankles? I don't know. Does Isaac quietly just yield his body to be tied? Do you think maybe he's pleading at this time with his father? At least asking, what are you doing? We're not told. All that is depicted are the actions of the father and what seems to be the evident submission of the son. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. And that's when we have the Hollywood ending. Abraham's hand is stayed at the last moment. Isaac is saved. So in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the body or do anything to him. I'm the director. You you turn the camera on on Isaac's face and you, you catch the relief that he displays unless, I don't know, perhaps he's already fainted in terror. Then you go back to Abraham, who's who's now listening to God once more, and God is now explaining the reason for this test. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What do you think we'd be seeing in Abraham's face now? We're not told. He looks, he sees a ram, he understands that to be the offering that the Lord will provide, and so he names the place Yahweh Yerah. Well, we're probably more familiar with the term Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And so in verse 13, Abraham lifts up his eyes, he looks, and behold, he sees the ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, of the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. 
So Abraham passes the test. God reaffirms the covenant. All is well. Father and son return down the mountain together. All is well. Or is it? I mean, is this a is this a feel-good movie? It has a happy ending there, and you just feel great. Or is this a movie you definitely do not take your children to? I mean, think about the implications that are brought out of here for, about God. I mean, what is God doing? And we're told that he's testing Abraham. Okay, well, we can get the concept. All through scriptures, God tests the faith and the obedience of his people and Sometimes they pass, many times they fail. The book of Job is the the most well-known test. I mean, Job lost, what, ten children. But Job was not asked to kill them. He was not asked to, to lift them up as an offering to God. Now, yeah, God comes through, and he stops Abraham. But parents... And which of you would just simply just be feeling happy at the end? Just feeling great. I mean, your minds and your hearts have been tortured. And you find out it's just, oh, it's just a test by God. He just wanted to see how you really feel about him. I mean, does not God know already our hearts? Did he not know already where he stood with Abraham? And this thing about saying, now, surely I will bless you and give you offspring. Well, he had already given that promise to Abraham. Why do you have to do it again? Why, why this test? You know, last week we learned, I mean, I, I stated it here from the pulpit. God will carry out his promises despite the failings of his people. And now God speaks as though, well, maybe he might have changed his mind if Abraham had failed the most arduous test a parent could go through. What gives? And what gives with Abraham? Come on, parents. Why was there no pushback? I mean, Abraham, you you spoke on your son Ishmael's behalf. You pleaded for Sodom and Gomorrah. But with Isaac, you quietly... And without any pause that we can see, you take the steps to offer your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, you're ready to offer him on the altar. Abraham, could you not at least ask for an explanation from God? And what God is asking, actually no, what, what God is commanding, it makes no sense with what we know about God. It makes no sense in light of his, of his holy and his righteous character. It certainly makes no sense in light of his covenant promise that he had, he had made to Abraham. It was to be, to quote God himself, through Isaac that Abraham's offspring being named. Didn't Abraham have a little bit of trouble with all of this? You know, when God revealed to Abraham his intention to bring judgments against Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was because, he said, I'm going to go see how grave their sin really is. 
Abraham had the temerity to say to God, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Really, Abraham. Abraham was questioning God's justice in dooming two wicked cities, but he has nothing to say when he is called upon to doom his own son, the son whom he loved, the son that God himself had promised to him. What again is going on? Well, the author of Hebrews ventures to give an explanation. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 and 19. He says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Evidently, Abraham had been considering the matter. And somehow he figured the Lord would come through. Was he going to stay his hand at the last moment? Maybe. Maybe that was in Abraham's mind. What we're told here is that Abraham had faith in something even greater, a resurrection, a resurrection of his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loved. Now, why would Abraham have such faith? Why would he believe in such an ending? Evidently, because he trusted God to keep his promise. Now remember, God did not merely promise Abraham a son. He had promised him the son through whom Abraham's offspring would come and all the nations would be blessed. Now, where did Abraham get that faith? I mean, actually a little puzzling because Abraham's faith had faltered before. He had feared the Egyptians. He had feared Abimelech, and so he makes up these lies about his own wife. But all of that was before God's promise of Isaac had come true. Now with Isaac, God had kept his promise. And Abraham could trust that the same God would not renege on that promise. The Lord would provide. Faith is at the heart of a relationship with God. Trust is at the heart of faith. That's what this is all about, is trusting your God to keep his promise. Now, what about God? Let's think about him again. Why would God make Abraham go through such a test when he already knows, as the sovereign God, Abraham's heart? I don't know. I mean, all I know is what can be learned from what happened, from what Abraham does and from what God does and he calls his people to do. Did God know that Abraham feared him and hold him above all else? Of course. But now we also know the same thing about Abraham. Now we know 
what the power of faith can do and the trust that such faith instills. We've mentioned before Abraham had pleaded for Ishmael and for the two cities. But then God had made no promise regarding them. He had made the promise for Isaac. That is the distinction. I mean, regarding Isaac, why would Abraham need to plead on behalf of what God has already promised and delivered? Why should Abraham believe that the ending would be tragic? Abraham had learned, no doubt through his earlier failures, to trust the promise of God. And surely his faith is strengthened when he held God's promise in his arms. Why then does he need to plead? And what about Isaac? Did Isaac also not show faith? Well, he definitely is a son who showed trust in his father. Surely Isaac could not have understood the actions of his father as his father bound him and laid him on the altar. And surely he could not have understood his father taking that knife and holding it up to slay him. The only thing he could do was trust his father to do what was right, whatever the right might be. By trust and by love, another son would climb a hill. And this time knowing that he would be the lamb that was sacrificed. Another son knew that the hand of his father would not be stayed at the last moment. And when he called out to his father on the cross, there would be no response. There would be no Here I am, my son. He was the son who understood fully what was happening. And yet Jesus trusted his father. Because he knew his father. Because he knew the promises of his father. He knew that he was the father's son, his only son, whom the father loved. For he had known such love for eternity. He knew that whatever his father promised, that promise would be kept. And so because of the joy set before him, the joy of the resurrection that he knew would take place, the joy of the, of the glory that awaited him, the joy of many offspring of faith, because of such joy he endured the cross, despising the shame, And even now he sits at the hand of the throne of God. And what of God the Father? Well, for all the shaking of our heads at what he would have made Abraham go through, perhaps now we understand just just a bit of what it meant for him to give his son as the offering to be provided. Surely he asked nothing of Abraham that he himself, that he knew that he would not go through. And for whom did the father give his son? His only son, Jesus Christ, whom he loved. For whom did the son willingly lie upon the altar? It was for Sodom and Gomorrah. 
for us. For great was our sin, grave was our condition. And if the judge of all the earth was to do what was just, then what hope could there be for us sinners? For us who in Scripture are described as enemies of God. Our only hope was that justice would fall upon the substitute that God would provide. And it is by such a means that we're told in Romans 3 that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ as the willing and perfect sacrifice for your sins, would you not do it today? Will you not give up defending yourself, trying to make yourself better than you are? Will you not give up your arguments and turn to the Father and the Son? You see, the story of Abraham and Isaac, it's It's not a story, after all, about the harshness of God. It is the true parable of his, God the Father, God the Son. It is the true parable of the mercy that he has shown to us. Let's pray. What mercy this is, our God, that yet we cannot begin to fathom. We cannot begin to fathom such love all the more than we to shake our heads at the wonder of the gospel message of the Father who would offer up his Son upon a cross for us. How wondrous this is. We thank you for this mercy. We thank you, God the Father. We thank you, God the Son, who willingly, because of the joy set before you, despised the shame and went upon that cross for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.